0: Sure. I'm like, what
1: hello 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 this is me and my friend pete the podcast that explores all things the amazing spider-man I'm your host, Gerald. If this is your first time with us, welcome. If it isn't... Welcome, 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 welcome back. This week, we're running through Amazing Spider-Man number 10... (laughs) If you haven't already, please like, comment, subscribe, and review as your opinions, both good and bad, matter not only to me, but the curious folks outside of our listening community who may be swayed by your opinions to join in. Shout out to the right minders, the big three, the key keepers, and the high council. To you I say I see you, and I thank you for your support. And to you all I say, teamwork makes the dream work. And the enforcers prove it true. We've got fists flying furiously from the fanciest of dance. We've got a man from Montana who's mastered moves with the lariat. We've got Ox. Six foot eight of muscle and you can't teach that. And we've got the man. Which
0: man? <laughs>
1: Putting on a master class and master planning as he lays siege to the city. We know and love and we've got me. We've got you. We've got no further ado. We've got the amazing Spider-Man number 10. Me and my best friend Pete, old adventures, new critiques. He spins webs, I spin yarns, kinda kooky, be forewarned. Look out, it's me and my
0: friend Pete.
1: The credits on this one, this was written by Smiling Stan Lee, illustrated by Swinging Steve Ditko, and lettered by Sparkling Sam Rosen. We move on to the cover, and this is probably the simplest cover we've seen thus far in Me and My Friend Pete as far as action goes, but what it lacks in action, it makes up for in style. The negative space is a light bluish green. Beneath the Amazing Spider-Man logo, it says, Never has anyone fought such merciless foes as the Enforcers. With the Enforcers in stylized red. And beneath this, the most stylish group of criminals this side of the silver age of comics. From right to left, we have the man, Montana. A tall man with broad shoulders and a brim on his white cowboy hat broader than that. He's in a lavender suit with a light blue shirt and a bolo tie. He's holding a large lasso by the Honda in his right hand and the rest of the rope in his left. Next, we have the greatest name in villainy, Fancy Dan. Is he fancy? Come on now. Fancy Dan is five foot three. He's wearing a whole green suit with a yellow skimmer hat. The skimmer has a green band matching the suit and brown loafers. Next to Fancy Dan, we have Ox. And some things are just in... The name. Ox is 6 foot 8 inches tall and wider than barn doors. He isn't fancy. He's wearing a yellow turtleneck, black pants, and brown slacks with brown shoes with a black vest over that yellow shirt. Both hands and fists. And finally, we have the big man. His head comes up to Ox's shoulder, so I put him at maybe six feet. He's wearing a brown fedora with a burgundy-colored band. His face and head are covered in a white drama mask. He's not anywhere near as stylish as Fancy Dan, but the suit he's got on will make Steve Harvey do a double take. This thing is candy-painted in either green or turquoise, depending on where the light is hitting it. It's a flashy, funky suit, but we are in the 60s. A funky suit that doesn't match at all with the orange ascot he's wearing. But big man is daring. He has white gloves on both hands, brown loafers. And he's pointing across the cover at the one and only amazing Spider-Man Who is dominating the right side of this cover in a beautiful dynamic shot His left hand is above his head holding onto a web line as he swings His right arm outstretched, his legs slightly bent beneath him And he's trying to get at the enforcers Looks to me like they're itching to get it going from where I'm sitting So let's get into it Page one opens and as usual in this silver age We've got the sign of the spider with Spider-Man's name in it above his eyes To its right, we've got a question How can one lone crime
0: fighter though possessing the power of countless spiders, hope to defeat The Enforcers.
1: The Enforcers is written in large red letters. Beneath this we have a yellow banner telling us that if we read this story, if we take the time out of our lives to give this movie link feature a read, we'll never be satisfied with lesser magazines. And I gotta say, judging from the splash page beneath it, they may be right. We get a beautifully drawn image of Spidey in profile and everything has gone left. He's on the left side of the page. He's down on his left knee, his left hand to his forehead and his right is pressed against the floor for balance. Behind him, we've got the enforcers. The big man is to his left. He swapped out his orange ascot for a maroon one that matches the hat band. Fancy Dan probably told him that this ascot goes better with his suit. You know, throwing fashion tips around, trying to keep the boss happy, keep the boss looking good. Big man has a hand on his hip, aiming a pistol at the back of the webhead's head. We've got Ox, both fists raised. We've got Montana, a cigarette poking out of the left side of his lips, twirling his lasso with his right hand. We see he's wearing Chelsea boots, and I imagine Fancy Dan told him they were more stylish than the cowboy boots Montana rode Easton. And we've got Fancy Dan, the only person since we've started our journey to change his stylish outfit on the cover into a more stylish outfit inside. He's wearing a yellow skimmer, but now the band on it is striped in purple to match his JJP colored suit. He's got a yellow kerchief poking out of his breast pocket, a yellow tie, and a pin striped shirt. Of course he has a pencil thin mustache and of course he smokes his cigarette through a theater link cigarette holder. I challenged everyone in the Beyond bonus episode to find me someone who came close to Misty Knight's fashion sense and we could make it a walk off. If Fancy Dan keeps this up, she may have an opponent. Above the big man's head, we have a red arrow pointing down at him asking, Who is the big man? Above Montana, we have a light blue screen balloon. A screen balloon just looked like it's been electrocuted around the edges. It says,
0: With this classic tale, the Marvel Age of Commons reaches a new plateau of greatness.
1: We turn the page. Page two opens to a caption box. Okay. If you've read this far, we figure you're hooked. There's no turning back now, so hold on to your hats. Here goes one of the most exciting super adventures you've ever read. Beneath it, we see Montana in the background of a room with a curved roof. He's giving a thumbs up, saying everything's good to go. In the foreground, we see the big man. He's staring down at his watch, and he says... (laughs) Give me 30 seconds on the clock. The next panel, we see two police officers staring out of a high rise at a man in a purple flat cap, purple slacks, and brown jacket, balanced on the edge of a flagpole. The police are screaming at the man to surrender with the jewels because he's standing on a flagpole. There's nowhere to go. The guy says, I wouldn't make book on that if I were you. The big man playing this caper and he never fails. The next panel, we see the world's most glamorous superhero, his words, not mine, suited and booted, swinging high above the city. He spots the Jewel Thief on the edge of the flagpole and thinks if this guy's trying to get away, he's doing it the hard way. Spidey swings toward the Jewel Thief to grab him before he falls, but the man is suddenly yanked from the flagpole towards the sky. Spidey's confused, he screams what's going on as the Jewel Thief thinks the plan worked. That Spidey never suspected he had a cable wrapped around his waist. We get a beautifully drawn panel of a helicopter hidden in clouds above the building and JT hanging from the cable, JT being Jewel Thief, hanging from the cable high above the city. Inside the chopper, Montana screams that their plan worked, but the big man's not surprised. He says, of course it did. I came up with it and tells Montana to reel JT in. But who does the big man think he's dealing with? In the next panel, we see Spidey's web the flagpole and is swinging in a circle around it to build momentum thinking nobody makes a sap out of him releasing the flagpole he soars both arms outstretched in front of him towards the chopper screaming i'll get him before he can escape And that hidden whirly bird but in the final panel we see big man has come to play as spidey lunges towards the whirly bird a jet of green gas shoots from the chopper into spidey's face as he thinks "Oh, they were prepared for my clumsy attack Falling to the earth to open page three, the webhead spins a parachute to slow his fall, thinking he won't win any medals for being a dumbhead. On the street below, crowd reaction shot. We've got a guy in a red flat cap, vest, and tie saying Spidey goof. A guy in a yellow skimmer and green blazer lighting a cigarette saying Spidey's a big clown. And a guy in an SJB fedora and blazer saying JT got away, Scott free. We get a close-up shot of the big man next, still inside the chopper, and he says in minutes the whole city will know that they made Spider-Man look like a fool. I think he's right. Word travels fast in this city, especially when it comes to the spider, but big man still has things to do. We see a room full of gang leaders, hands in their pockets, sitting on desks, standing around. All of them are in suits, dressed to kill, and that's good because in the foreground we see a white-gloved hand pointing. One of the gang leaders wearing a green suit says it's about time you got here. Another in an SJB suit chimes in saying they've got their own games to take care of and they're not used to waiting. But that finger pointing belongs to the big man. And big man says... The next panel, we see his head in the foreground as he says he's going to run his little enterprise like big business. He's going to give the orders and his enforcers are going to make sure they get followed. In the background, we see left to right, Montana, lariat twirling, as always, standing next to Ox, who's eating an apple, standing next to the fanciest of Dan's, fancy Dan who has a hand in his own pocket. Being honest, I wouldn't be intimidated by a guy in a drama mask with a rodeo show coming in and barking orders. And these gangsters share that view. We see four of them in the next panel. SJB has heard enough. Cigar in his mouth. He tells the big man that the big man's not talking to kids. A guy with shock red hair and a lavender suit, brown tie. Charlie Chaplin mustache says nobody tells him what to do. He's leaving. A brown suited guy with a face like a gorilla says he's rolling out too. Off panel, big man's not having it. He says... And we got action. Big man says, on
0: it while fall I can't such as this.
1: And we see Fancy Dan in action. A green suited man throws a right cross that Fancy Dan doesn't even have to duck to dodge as he punches the man in the gut with his right hand, while at the same time dodging an uppercut from SJB, grabbing the man's ankle as he does, pulling his feet from under him. From off panel in a final panel, Big Man says, Fancy Dan is just a man all hands. And we see the diminutive dapper Dan working. In the foreground, green suit is flying towards us, his eyes wide. Mine would be wide too if I was flying through the air upside down. Behind him. Fancy Dan has a brown suited man's wrist in his right hand and he's flipping the man easily over his shoulder while at the same time punching SJB in the gut with a straight left. His theater cigarette cleansing his teeth the whole time, he's chilling. Page four opens to big man still bragging about his team of enforcers. <laughs> As we see the ox towering over three mob leaders, two in front of him, one in back. They're all throwing punches, two to the gut, one to his back, but the ox is not bothered at all. He's standing here just casually eating an apple. The next panel, we see the ox swing a mighty left cross, knocking out all three gang members at once. And the big man moves on to the last enforcer. We see Montana, a determined look on his face, on his tiptoes and his Chelsea boots. He's just thrown his lasso and skillfully looped it around the wrist of a gangster's hand, holding a pistol in the foreground. The next panel, we see the larceness lariat has wrapped up three separate gang leaders' legs in a skillful toss of the rope. The gang leaders are all struggling to stay on their feet as Big Man says that in the hands of the man Montana, the rope is like a living thing. The next panel, we see the big man in profile to the left of the panel, his enforcers to the right. Fancy Dan fixing his tie, Montana twirling his lasso at their feet, no less than seven. Gang leaders. Big man, proving his point, goes straight into villain monologue without missing a beat, saying,
0: You all know how I outsmarted Spider Man earlier today. And you are seeing what happens to anyone foolish enough to resist me or my enforcers. Our meeting is now a job. You will receive firm orders from me very soon. Under my leadership, aided by my enforcers, we have a glorious future.
1: Solid little monologue, I give it a two on the doom scale. While the big man is plotting to take over New York City, the Golden Rod kid, Peter Parker, has headed to the hospital to visit Aunt May, still recuperating from her surgery from last issue. He's wearing his SJB suit, a red tie, and green and black striped vest. Entering the hospital, he runs into Liz and the Brandex kid himself, Flash Thompson. Liz is wearing a red blazer and white t-shirt, and Flash is wearing a brown turtleneck. Pete asks what they're doing at the hospital, and Liz says they came to visit Aunt May. Flash, calling Pete Sonny, tells him it was Liz's idea to come. Pete thinks, poor Flash. He's so afraid I might find out he's really got a heart somewhere under that thick skin. As a blonde-haired doctor in glasses approaches him from behind. The doctor tells Pete that May's doing as well as expected, but she needs a blood transfusion. Pete is horrified. He thinks he can't dare give his blood. In the final panel, we've got Pete Rock half half amazing spider-man in the foreground a worried look on the Pete side of his face he knows that the spider infected his blood with radiation and thinks no one can ever know this secret he tells the doctor he doesn't think he can do it but Liz and Flash overhearing the conversation aren't having it Liz says Peter it's your own aunt Flash asks if Pete's afraid of needles and Pete thinks Liz is right his resolve strengthened he thinks he can't fail on May. I love that Liz and Flash really are like yo dude that's your auntie what you doing Give up the blood. We don't hate you that much. We don't want you to be an orphan. Page five opens and we see Pete's wasted no time. He's laying in a hospital bed, his right arm sleeve rolled up as the blonde doctor puts a band-aid on his arm. In the foreground, we see May sleeping peacefully. Pete's thinking he's lucky. His blood checked out with no one realizing it was radioactive as the doctor tells him to relax, that the transfusion gave May all the strength she needed. The next panel, we get a great close up of Pete Rock, a worried expression on his face as he stares in May's direction. He's thinking, if my strength comes from my blood, which was affected by the spider's bite, How will this transfusion affect me? I'll probably be somewhat weakened for a while until the blood cells can rebuild themselves. So Pete always in scientist mode, thinking the right things, wondering how this will affect him. Knowing that giving blood and blood transfusions makes you weaker. He needs some orange juice. He knows that. Pete sits up in bed, rolling down the sleeve of his shirt. The doctor tells him to take it easy for a while. Pete says he will and hopes Spidey won't be needed, but is glad May's getting better. The next panel we see Pete, SJB suit blazer on. He's standing over a smiling May, who's still laying in her hospital bed. But she's awake and she's happy. We love to see it. Thanks to you, Peter, dear. The doctor says I can leave here shortly. Pete says that's great. And it is. That Aunt May's friends, the Abbots, are going on a vacation to Florida and would love for her to come with. May says that's wonderful. But of course, you know what she wants to know. Who's going to look after the young goldenrod? But Pete says he'll keep busy with schoolwork and chores. Thus, a short we see pete his back to us leaning into the back seat of a car where may and the abbots are sitting comfortably may's wearing a brown dress mrs abbott is wearing a red dress and the mr is wearing a green suit with matching fedora aunt may tells pete to take care to wear his rubbers in the rain and dress warm. She tells him she left his nose drops in the medicine cabinet and Pete cuts her off like, sure on me, sheesh. I'll let you keep going, you'll be saying where you put my underwear I had that accident in. And don't y'all dare judge him, y'all never had to stare down the lot, very in line. You'd probably leave more than a streak. Pete says he'll be fine and tells May to get plenty of sun. Mr. Abbott says they'll take good care of her and the car pulls off from the curb. And not a moment too soon, because if May had stayed in the city, she'd have probably suffered another stroke seeing what Comes of the big apple with the big man making his moves. The
0: caption box reads, but as Peter's on, head south. A new crime wave begins to erupt in the city. Under the leadership of the mysterious big man,
1: a well-organized and powerful network of underworld mobs seem to strike everywhere at once. And we see the big man's head suspended over all of his different heists in action. There's a safe door being blown off the hinges. We see JT the jewel Thief has landed on top of an armored truck from above and is attaching a cable in his hand to a hook drilled into it. He is going to lift the whole armored truck and take it away. We see a man in an olive green flat cap low over his eyes. He's wearing a green jacket, brown slacks, and olive shoes and shirt to match. In his left hand, he's holding a leather triangle bag. In his right, a smoking pistol as he runs towards us. And finally, we see a hand, pistol raised, aimed at a woman with blonde hair and a pink dress, a man in a blue suit and a strawberry blonde guy with bow tie to match and horn-rimmed glasses. He is in a deep flop sweat and pushing a mound of cash on the table in front of him towards the hand with the gun but Big Man was only warming up. Page six opens to a daring heist as we see three helicopters pulling an entire train car from its link in a moving train. A passenger on a separate car screams that they're stealing the mail car. Big Man is stealing the mail! The combined numbers of the gangs mixed with the planning of the Big Man has turned their little criminal business as the Big Man called it into a crime syndicate almost overnight. And anybody not willing to get down lays down as we see Ops punch a door off its hinges in the next panel before Fancy Dan dives in attacking two gang members there and dropping them instantly. While Dan handles these two guys, Montana lasses a third who screams, The Enforcers, stay back, we'll join you. We'll join. Gangs fall and left and right to big men. The co- next panel, we see a group of men being led into a police paddy wagon by two officers. Spidey, suited and booted, squatting on the side of a building above them. A web line in his right hand says, The police are doing a great job. Working night and day. That's the fifth bunch of monsters they've grabbed today. But they're all afraid to talk. They're terrified of the big man and his enforcers. I hate that me and Spidey have such a different idea of who the police are. Drives me batty, but I love the guy. He gets it done. Next, we see the big man's operation as a well-oiled machine. Anytime a member of his operation is caught, they're only small time and clam up tighter than, well, a clam holding its pearls so the police can't get any information out of anybody they bring in. We get a panel of police catching two safe crackers in the act and the two men don't even put up a fight. In fact, the one with his hands in the safe, the guy with his hands in the cookie jar, says the big men will have them out by morning. Next panel, we get a caption box. There is still one other who also roams the streets
0: searching endlessly for news. It is J. Jonah Jameson, the hard-headed publisher of the Daily Bugle. And now, magazine.
1: We see J. Jonah lighting a cigar as he walks past a beat cop who's leading a blonde man with a brown blazer and popped white collar. J.J.'s wearing a green suit, orange sequin tie, and matching bowler hat. He says... Another arrest, I see. Bah! Shout out to Weeds. It's a waste
0: of time bringing in such small fish. spider is the one you should be going after. He must be mixed up in all this somehow.
1: Even after Spidey was made to look like a fool by Big Man, J.J. still thinks he's the Big Man. And the final panel, we see the police chief has taken a hard line against J. Jonah Jameson's tirades. The B-Cop, pointing a finger at J.J.'s back, tells him to forget about the Webhead and help them catch the Big Man. He tells Jonah to tell his readers to report suspicious activity. J.J. waves away the cop's comments saying there is no Big Man because nobody's ever seen him. J.J. goes on to say Spider-Man invented the character to make himself look innocent. We are not in the third adventures in and the only villain jj hasn't accused spidey of working with our dr doom dr octopus and the lizard if spidey stops a doctor mum's the word he stops anybody else he's working with him that my friend is the class divide the bias is real the next day. We see J. Jonah Jameson in his office in the Daily Bugle, 39th Street, 2nd Avenue, Midtown. Limestone building, you can't miss it. In a great panel, light is spilling in through the window onto the desk in J.J.'s corner office, the shadow of the window pan is diagonal on the floor in front of his desk. It's a great panel. Jameson's leaning on his desk, the same green suit, and he's tirading at a balding, brown-haired man in a white-collar shirt with the sleeves rolled up and brown pants. This man's name is Foswell, and Jameson's telling Foswell he wants a series of articles written that'll prove Big Man and Spider-Man are the same person. Foswell says they don't have proof that the police still haven't figured out who the big man is. We see Foswell from the front, long face, yellow checkered bow tie as he continues. And if you go out on the limb the way you did last month when you claimed he was Electro, and if you turn out wrong again, people will lose confidence in our paper. And he's absolutely right. I imagine the editor-in-chief over at the Daily Globe is smiling from ear to ear after reading that Electro headline from last issue. Even if the Bugle redeemed some good faith, they were caught looking both completely biased and unprofessional. Oh, and... And wrong. You can hear JJ rationalize his madness in the There Ain't No Punch Lines The Fist Flying episode of Me and My Friend Pete. Back to JJ in profile, in the foreground, a cigar in his hand, screams at Foswell to be quiet. He points Foswell out of his office and says, Like always, I'm still running this paper, Foswell. Now, do as I say or I'll fire you and see to it that no paper ever hires you again. Foswell, glancing over his shoulder defeated, says, I'll do it, Mr. Jameson. I've gotten into the habit of eating three squares a day. We see Foswell outside of JJ's office next, running a hand through his hair, and he's talking to Betty Brent. He says, man, JJ really hates Spidey. And Betty, red dress, red clutch to match, pearls on her neck, says, I feel you. I listen to him all day. But luckily, Blue Monday is done and it's quitting time. She slides on a pink jacket and gets out of there. On the street, we see Betty looking over his shoulder, wondering if the Golden rod kid himself will come by, as he sometimes does. While she's wondering, we see a man in a green jacket, brown flat cap, and slacks. He's standing on a street corner and pointing Betty out to none other than the enforcers. Montana says, well, what are you waiting for? The next panel, Fancy Dan, blowing smoke into Betty's face says, You know who we are, sister. Where's the rest of the money you owe? And Betty's shocked. She says she already paid off the whole loan. But Fancy says, nah, bump that noise. He says, quote, sure, but you forgot the interest. The big man doubled it since yesterday. Or in layman's terms, yesterday's price is not today's price. That's 57 years before. History repeats. And Betty says that's not fair. The next panel, Fancy, continues. He says when the big man took over, he didn't do it for his health. As he's saying this, the goldenrod kid himself walks up. He sees the look of worry on Betty's face and asks, what's going on? The next panel, we get Pete Rock walking towards the danger. His fist clenches as Betty screams for him to go away because the men are dangerous. Pete Rock doesn't care. He says, "Betty, you're scared. If they're bothering you. Fancy not even bothering to look at Pete lights another cigarette saying that it's real nice Betty has a boyfriend. The final panel, we see he means it's nice. For them, Fancy Dan says they're too gentlemanly to threaten a woman, despite having just threatened this young woman. As Ox grabs Pete from behind, Montana tells Ox to lean on him a little. Two, as Betty, blocked by Montana's arm, screams for them not to hurt Pete, saying she'll get the money somehow. We turn the page and we're on the infinity, infinity page. Page Page eight, just in time to see Fancy Dan disrespecting the goldenrod kid in Spider Pete form. Fancy Dan pulls Pete's tie from inside of his vest, tousles his hair, and says Pete's lucky Betty said she'd get the money, calling him Sonny the whole time. As Pete, his Spidey sense of blaze, thinks he can't do anything without giving away his secret identity. Ox shoves Pete Rock to the floor, and the enforcers make like Autobots. Pete chokes. Those rats! They're not getting away with that! Pete is about to leap off of this floor towards them in pure Spidey fashion, but Betty grabs his shoulder trying to talk sense to him. She says... No, Peter! You don't know what you're saying. You're no match for them. They're the enforcers the next panel I know my man Pete is upset because he's still Pete Rock as he redoes his tie. His spider sense is still tingling. He is still half man half amazing. He is livid. He says he's heard of the enforcers but wants to know how Betty got mixed up with them. Betty her hands to her cheeks thinks that she can't tell Peter the truth because he'll try to help and wind up hurt or worse. We get a close-up of Betty's face, a look of fear as she lies and says it was a case of mistaken identity. And Pete's not having it. He's not buying it either. The golden rod kid has learned about the donuts and dimes. I'm not going to give you a dime for that too story you just told me he doesn't call betty a liar but he definitely tells her you're lying because you're stuttering and you're ticking me off ticking me off and asks betty why she won't level with him betty runs out of this panel and through the next one in tears thinking i can't do it i can't let the dearest most <laughs> wonderful boy i've ever known get mixed up with the enforcers because of me while pete thinks i must have been wrong about her She can't care for me if she won't confide in me. Drama! The next panel, we see Pete does what he always does when his personal life is derailing. He gets suited, he gets booted, and we see him running along the side of a building his spidey sense of blaze. He says, As Peter Parker, I was just a helpless, confused school kid. But as Spider-Man, things are going to be a lot different as soon as I track down the enforcers. Spidey is looking to go full beat the bully on the big man and his crew. In no time at all, he spots the man who pointed Betty out to the enforcers. At the corner of 10th Avenue and I don't know street, Spidey webs both of the guys' shoulders and yanks him off his feet, calling him a weasel and telling him they gotta talk. The next panel, we see Spidey and the weasel high above the streets of New York as Spidey questions him. He asks where he can find the enforcers, but the weasel is panicked. He says the enforcers will kill him if he talks because they fear no one except the big man. In the final panel, we get a great close up of Spidey webbing the weasel's eyes shut as he thinks, He's terrified and troubled at the very mention of the name of the enforcers. Only one thing to do I gotta make him fear Spider Man even more. Minutes later, the weasel opens his eyes and talks tough, saying, This won't do you any good, Spider Man. I don't scare easy in. And... Before stopping, his eyes wide with fear. Wow. Spidey is dangling from the ceiling of wherever he's taken the weasel to. He's surrounded by webs, and worse, there's a massive spider beside him. Spidey, comfortable on his web line, says, You are in my spider's web. Now when you talk, or won't you? And the weasel begs Spidey not to let the monster come closer. And pop goes the weasel. He is ready to talk. The camera shifts and we see the back of the giant spider filled with wooden planks. Spidey's crafted this giant arachnid using leftover webbing. He is an artist with this webbing. He's made webbing parachutes, webbing gliders. He made a web heart for Sue Storm. What can he do with the webbing? He uses it as slingshots. It's the most amazing invention of all time. So Spidey's crafted this giant arachnid, but Weasel doesn't know this, and he immediately gives up the information, telling Spidey the enforcers are at 15 Oak Street. I looked up 15 Oak Street because I didn't think it was real, but not only is it real, it is a perfect place for an organized crime lord to hole up. My people, we're going to the Brooklyn docks. Exactly
0: five seconds later.
1: Spidey's speeding above New York, web-swinging towards the Brooklyn docks, and he says he's going to give the enforcers a little workout. Some cardio. Spidey reaches the warehouse in the next panel and swings towards it, his legs out in front of him. Unfortunately, we're about a decade away from the great General Agbar, so there's no one to warn our fearless hero that he's swinging into a trap. As we see Montana's lasso fly around Spidey's waist. In the next panel, we see Spidey jerked by the waist through the skylight as he thinks he's been lassoed like a runaway steer. But even falling with his back to the earth, Spidey lands on his feet and at the same time, has his wish granted as we see the big man and the enforcers waiting for him inside of the warehouse. Game on, big man positive reinforcement being the basis of any great organization, tells Montana good work before telling the enforcers to finish Spider-Man off because he can't risk the wall crawler interfering with his plans. He tells Ox to rush Spidey, and we got action. Spidey, freeing himself from the noose in between panels, punches Ox in the gut with a straight left in the next screaming. Even a real Ox couldn't get me, so no funny one is going to do it. And you can't catch Spider-Man twice with the same rope trick, mister. We know Spidey didn't pull this punch at all because Ox's mouth is wide open in pain. He is six foot eight. Spidey took no chances. Uh, You want to grab up kids who can't fight back, huh? Threaten killing kids? Take this punch to the gut. Spidey gave him one. Payton opens to the fight I've been dying to see. As we get a beautifully drawn panel of the most glamorous hero in the whole world versus the fashion aficionado himself. Fancy Dan, Fancy Dan gets to go one on one with the great one. Spidey throwing a right cross that misses high screams. A guy your size must be nuts to try to tangle with me.
0: Hey, I missed.
1: Never saw anyone move so fast. But the fashionista has heard all the short jokes before. He's been underestimated before, too. He's not bothered. I think he's of Russian descent because he drops into a Russian squad dance with his left leg out in front of him. He goes right at the webhead's stomach, warning Spidey not to let his size fool him. And Spidey's like, all right, and punches Fancy Dan across the jaw, sending him reeling. But Spidey's in a numbers game. His spider sense goes off, and before he can even react, Montana's lasso tightens around his right wrist. Montana yanks Spidey off balance into the next panel by the lasso, leaving our hero wide open from a right cross from the Ox, who screams he was waiting to land a haymaker on Spidey. Great teamwork. The lasso to the hook. That's a good combo. But Spidey eats those. Going with the blow, he backflips on a handstand into the next panel and out of Montana's rope, who retreats so Flashy Dan can get back to work. And he does. He screams. He's strong. And swift. But it's still three against one. And when a guy as fast as Fancy Dan is also a judo expert, what chance can Spider-Man have? He talked all that crap, immediately backing it up. Rushing Spidey, he flips him with a judo toss before the webhead can set his feet. A judo toss that sends him flying into the next panel where Ox swings with another haymaker, connecting with Spidey's shoulder. Ox was outside. You know how I know? He screamed, stop flapping your lips and keep fighting. He's a long way from being licked yet. Don't talk crap until you win. Somebody told Ox the cardinal rule of me and my friend Pete. He had to learn it in the Bronx. And he's absolutely right, because in the next panel we see Spidey, Let me paint this. His left arm is bent. He has his left hand pressed flat against the floor and is using his forearm to brace the weight of his entire body. Spidey's like 165, 165 pounds. So he has 165 pounds on his forearm. His left leg is bent up to his chest. His right is stretched out. I don't know, agility best ever. Already in an impossible position, he still manages to crack ox across the chin with a wicked right hand that says the six foot eight bruiser reeling. Spidey still hasn't touched the floor with his feet. But he is losing steam. The enforcer's incredible teamwork combined with the fact that he gave blood earlier in the day is starting to take its toll. He falls to one knee, but he's back in the air in no time because the enforcers don't know or care that Spidey gave blood. Big man told him to deal with the spider and that's what they're gonna do. Flashy Dan rushes and Montana tosses the lasso but Spidey leapfrogged the fashion fashionista and using his Spidey-sense as a guy, squeezes through the lasso toss, no problem. Thinking, hate to have him think I'm running out on a flight, but I've got to cut out while I still can. And it's a good call. Landing on page 11, Spidey leaps up and rips the overhead light from the wall, plunging the room into darkness. Using his spider sense, he races towards the exit. It's we see Spidey leaning against the garbage can lit in the next panel, trying to catch his breath as J. Jonah Jameson, green suit, orange bowler, strolls by. Spidey wonders what JJ is doing all the way in Brooklyn and stalks the man from the sheer wall of a building. As he thinks, The big man will not have to be someone smart, someone with money, someone who knows what's going on. But I can't believe that Jonah himself. Spidey doesn't know what to think. He's starting to think that the big man is Jay Jonah Jameson. Spidey heads home, he takes off his mask and gloves, picks up the phone and calls Betty. Betty isn't answering and Pete hopes she's okay. We shift to Betty's home as she sits on an ottoman crying in shadow as the phone rings. She says, It must be Peter. If I speak to him, he'll question me. And sooner or later, he'll get involved with the enforcers. But if I don't answer, uh, he'll get worried and come over in person. I, I better pick up the phone. Betty, are you all right? I wanna ask you something. No, Peter, not now. I'll speak to you tomorrow, please. And Betty is in tears. She hangs up the phone and stands in shadow with her head down and she's going through it. She thinks she has to leave because she can't have anything happen to Peter because of her. But I think that's not well thought out. Big man already knows who Peter Parker is. He'll still have the enforcers hurt Pete to carry out the threat. They said they wanted their money, not Betty dead. What's running going to do? They're just going to shift to a person they know who can get them that money. But the soap opera continues the next day. We're in JJ's corner office and he's rummaging through a filing cabinet behind his desk, his sleeves rolled up, his arms tied loose, a cigar in his mouth. on the front of JJ's desk towards the Ty Raiders back as JJ screams that he doesn't know where Betty is. All Betty told him was she had to go out of town for a while and now he has to train a new secretary. So that's why JJ doesn't have a blazer on as normal. Betty's gone, he's been running around having to grab his own files, make his own calls. JJ's a busy man and without Miss Brandt, he's way past busy enough. And Pete actually just left with no explanation? And JJ, stress dumping a pile of papers onto his desk says, look it. I've got my own problems. I've still got a newspaper to get out. Pete turns to leave thinking JJ has an ice cube for a heart and that he doesn't care about anyone. And JJ must be catching a vibe because he screams, As for you, I don't keep you around because I like your looks. You're paid to get pictures, so go get some and tell Foswell I'm waiting for his new column on Spider-Man.
0: Seconds later.
1: We see Pete in Foswell's office next. The man is sitting behind his desk, his yellow tie untied in his collar, typing on a green typewriter. Pete asks if Foswell really believes Spider-Man is the big man. And Foswell says, look, son, I write what the man tells me to write. We got to remember, Foswell's gotten used to three square. Next panel, we see Pete staring over his shoulders with the bluest eyes. I remember seeing the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man and being pissed off because his eyes were blue. Because the Spidey I know has hazel eyes. I thought they were changing it. And in reality, they were changing it back. But I don't know. A blue-eyed Spidey doesn't seem right. I don't know. Back to. Foswell tells Pete that he'd say Peter Rabbit was the big man if JJ told him to because nobody works at the Bugle and argues with old Pruneface. Pete says, mm, you're right, but it's unfair. The next panel, we see Pete at home in darkness and he's pacing back and forth in the living room in his Spidey gear, his mask and web shooters in the foreground on a nearby table. He thinks, why is Jameson so anxious to put suspicion on Spider-Man? And what was he doing in a neighborhood where the enforcers were? Can JJJ himself be leading a double life? Before flopping down on the couch and pouring out all his woes to the shadows. Full on emo, Pete says. Bet run out on me. For some reason I can't figure out. And the big man is getting a tighter grip on all the rackets in the city because the average man is too scared of the enforcers to report them to the police or to divide them. And here I sit wondering what to do next. Some hot shot superhero I am. Pete is stressed. My man is going through it. His lady gone. The big man on the prop. His auntie in Florida. Florida. He is all alone to deal with this. But what's the rule about Spidey when he gets knocked down? The next panel, he hops up to his feet. Both fists clenched, and a determined look in his eyes. Pete's got a dangerous plan. As Spider-Man, I might be able to smash the crime syndicate if I could find the main headquarters and learn who the big man really is. Nah, yeah, they're he not said. going to send Spider-Man yeah. an invitation to come visit them. But Peter Parker may be able to get himself captured by them. It's dangerous. But it's the only way. The next day. We see the Golden Rock Kid, SJB, suit and red tie. He's smiling smugly, flipping through a newspaper. And he's standing outside of Midtown High. Flash, stage right, brown turtleneck says, You mean to say that you figured out who the big man is when nobody else has any idea? You're nuts, Parker. As Liz and the gang look on. Nah. Pete says, yeah, well, you're gonna love my nuts when I tell my theory to the police and get this reward money. A redhead behind Pete seems convinced. He knows Pete is the big brain out here, and he says, maybe old bookworm Parker did figure out the big man's identity. He's a whiz on puzzles and stuff like that. Game, recognize, game. But everybody's not convinced. As the crowd breaks up to open page 13, someone says puny Parker's just showing off like he always tries to do. Flash calls out to Pete from around the corner. It's to be noted that Flash calls him Pete. Straight up, no jab. I already feel like that's important. Pete looks over his shoulder. His guard is up, of course. The Brandex kid is his arch enemy in his own words. He asks why Flash is hiding around corners. The next panel we see Flash put a hand on the Goldenrod kid's vest. Color? Goldenrod, of course. And holding up a finger, Flash says, "Keep your voice down and listen, you that's nut. What Haven't saying. you more sense than to go around yapping how you're gonna blow the whistle on the big man? Your life won't be worth a nickel if the enforcers find out." So we see Flash really has suffered trauma from being kidnapped by Dr. Doom back in ASM number 5. You can hear that tell in the Golden Liability Always Another Day episode here. And he's giving Pete real and solid advice. He's starting to really show a sense of growing morals and looks good on him. Good for you, Flash. Keep that, keep it up. Pete, smirking replies, thanks for the warning, fella. I didn't know you cared. And I think he's genuinely humbled that Flash does care. Flash's warning comes too late. The next panel, we see a long chin, middle-aged man in an olive newsie, brown blazer and tan tie. He's overheard the conversation and knows the enforcers will pay top coin for the tip-off. Within minutes. We see the big man in the shattery room with Montana who tells him that the Parker kid is telling everyone he knows who the big man is, and he's finna go to the police. Big man scream. Go, <laughs>
0: get him. In that police headquarters.
1: We get a shot outside of the police station of a globe-like wall sconce with police on it next to a window with light shining from it. Through the window we hear two officers talking, one telling the other that they just got tipped from Spider-Man to be ready because tonight he was making his move and going after the enforcers. We see Pete walking down the street and he gets ambushed by Fancy Dan in Montana. Fancy, poking Pete in the back with a concealed pistol, calls the Golden Rod Kid a big mouth and tells him to get into a car Montana has just opened the door of
0: forces car reaches a large indoor auto parking
1: building to open page 14 fancy dan tells pete they're not worried about showing him their headquarters because it's the last thing pete's going to see he leads pete to a dark prison cell the only light coming from the moon through a slat of bars above him and shoves the golden rod kit inside because of course big man has renovated the space and added detention centers he's the big man he thinks of everything pete hopes he hasn't gotten in too deep before getting suited and booted he leaps up to the ceiling, no huh. problem, and forces the bars open with a small effort. Spidey's on the move.
0: And just on the other side of the wall.
1: We see the big man in shadow in an open space with hanging ceiling lights talking to his gang. Montana tells him they've got every racketeer in the city here. Big man says good. The police are snatching too many of his goons up and he has new plans he wants to share. We see Spidey next panel creeping along a catwalk and he's thinking he stumbled onto something big. But he also thinks there are too many monsters down there even for him he has to alert the police just proof that spidey always tries to help in whichever way he can if i could handle these guys myself i would but i can't so i defer real power knows when to defer i talked about this all the way back in the second episode jj's beef people who really have power and understand their power know when to step aside and let other people handle it that doesn't make you any less powerful to be ill-equipped for a situation. And Spidey believes he's ill-equipped for this situation, so he's going to get help, not even help. He's going to call the police so they can handle it. But Spidey's been careless. He ignored his spider sense while he was thinking this, and a guy in a blue pork pie hat, olive shirt and purple pants, grabs Spider-Man from behind and shoves him off the catwalk. Spidey falls towards the floor of the garage as big man screams for his goons to attack. So much for that plan, because we got action and Spidey's got No help. But what does Spidey do? Spidey says, calm down, I'm not going anywhere. The final panel, we see Spidey's already up and at him. Throwing a rainbow haymaker, he clocks three dudes at once, sending them reeling, screaming, no need to rush, boy, take your time. I'll see that you own. Get what's coming to you? Whipping. He's nervous, and his fists never are. We turn a page, and we got action. Spidey thinks too many of them are surrounding him, and he needs space. He screams he's bored and hops above huh. the crowd towards a great convertible. Landing in a driver's seat, he pushes the door open ah. with his left hand and kicks the passenger side door open oh. with his right, sending five more goons flying. Ox rushes the vehicle and lifts it up by its bumper, forcing Spidey to leap from the huh. car, saying he prefers a four-speed gear anyway.
0: Spidey likes the speed.
1: He lands behind the group saying he'll give them an A for effort. But he thinks. He wishes he felt as confident as he sounds. He thinks he has to get out of this garage. Before he can land, Big Man gets involved. From a high ledge, he starts tossing barrels at Spidey. And 17 years before a certain Italian plumber dodged barrels hurled by Donkey Kong, we see Spidey go barrel hopping. In the final panel, Big Man takes off once he sees Spidey leap onto one of the loose barrels and run on it easily like a hamster who's mastered the wheel and leveled up. Page 16 opens to Big Man screaming that Spidey's overconfidence will be his undoing. But it's important to note that the Big Man is yelling this from off panel. Spidey has him shook. He is running and Spidey is giving chase. But the enforcers get involved. Big Man tells Montana to handle it and Montana says, I hear you talking, boss. In an expert toss, he wraps his lasso around Spidey's left ankle as Spidey rolls past on his barrel. But before Montana can give the line a tug, Spidey leaps from the barrel at the same time, hurling it towards the man from Montana. In a one-hand stand, Spidey traps five more mobsters in a net of webbing with a loud swap, reminding himself that he has to be careful with his webbing because these guys won't give him a chance to reload. The mob is getting Desperate somebody screams each of you grab a tire throw it and we see no less than three tires flying above Spidey's head Ox is going to work. We see him in the next panel and by himself He's hurled five large tires at Spidey with a six cock back But Spidey didn't get the reputation for best ever with the agility for nothing the final panel We see his hands locked at his side his feet straight as he planks through a tire Screaming. My reflexes help me to dodge these things with ease. And when I can't get around them, I can always zip through them. Spider-Man is working right now. But Big Man's not done. He grabs a bucket of oil and douses the floor where Spidey is landing, shouting that this will trip the web head up. The Spidey is the great one. He hits the oil slick and skates through it like Wayne Gretzky in the next panel, rolling over three more snazzily dressed goons. He says that according to the superhero manual, a well-trained hero turns every obstacle into an advantage. The goons surround Spidey in the next panel as he skids to a stop. One screams Spidey can't dodge him forever, but Spidey grabs a ball and chain hanging above his head thinking he's gonna go down trying, and backflips above the rushing crowd causing the goons to crash into each other.
0: Before Spider-Man can regain his footing, the fast moving Fancy Dan strikes again with a skillful judo attack.
1: Fancy Dan says the gang wore Spidey down enough, now it's time for him to get involved. He knocks the wind out of Spidey with a gut shot. And in the final panel, flips our hero towards a column, hoping to bash the webhead against it. He tried to murder the Spider-Man. He screams, A gentle-trained little man always more than a match for a guy twice his size, even when the guy is Spider-Man. And Spidey says you're going to regret those words soon. Page 18 opens to Spidey landing on the sheer wall of the pillar with both feet, twisting Fancy Dan around by the wrist. He slams the fashionista against the floor, telling the gangster to rest up for a while because he's had a busy day. Spidey leaps onto the hood of a nearby car as the mobsters continue chasing him and Spidey asks if they ever take lunch. But Spidey's getting worried. He thinks, my heart's pounding like a trip hammer. I've gotta get some rest soon. If only I can think of a way to signal the police. And he's found the plan. The next panel, we see him remove his spider light from his belt clip. He turns on the sign of the spider, attaches a couple of strands of webbing the light, and hurls the device from the parking garage as monsters swarm onto the hood of the car. Spidey shouts, bullseye, as the sign of the spider lights up a dark wall above the head of a police officer. In
0: 30 seconds.
1: We see squad cars tearing up the street, Joe and Tomas in a lead for sure, as Tomas screams, it's the Acne Garage, give her the gas. Yes. Meanwhile, Spidey is on the hood of the car, Working. He throws a no-look right fist over his shoulder, clubbing the goon there in the face, sending him tripping over another goon on his knees, already in pain. I don't know what Spidey did to him, but I'm guessing a low blow. With his left, Spidey's pummeling two more dudes as a man in purple cowers beneath him, his hand covering his head. Spidey has people on top of this car, huddled up in fear. He is putting the hammer down. Spidey clears off the hood of the car with a final left hook. just as sirens screech into the Acme Garage. Big Man, on the move. He fires at Spidey saying the cops won't get here in time to save Spidey and screams. Spidey, agility on. (laughs) You already know. Jumps backwards behind the pillar replying. Now you're gonna begrudge me my few little talents, aren't you? Landing on the hood of a car, Spidey tells Big Man fun times, over. Spidey says he counted the shots and tells Big Man he's empty like Spidey is Action Jackson. But Big Man says, bump that noise, and breaks for the exit, saying he knows when to make a dash for it. Page 20 opens to the large metal exit door slamming in Spidey's face. He screams he knows he's tired because he would have caught Big Man easily if he wasn't. Spidey can say that, but we know the rule here on me and my friend Pete. If that man reaches that door and you don't got a hand on him, he's escaped. That's just the rule of the chase. I didn't make that rule, but there it is. Big Man escapes, but Spidey's going to take the win because in the next panel, we see every single member of Big Man's organization is being held at gunpoint by the police as Spidey watches from a sheer wall. Spidey thinks it's too bad Big Man got away, but maybe he can still track him. We see Spidey swinging high above the city, screaming if the Big Man is who he thinks he is. Spidey's going to win, joy, bringing him in. We see Jameson enter the glass doors of the J.J. on the Jameson Publishing building, home to the Daily Bugle, as he thinks that the week's been miserable and everything's gone wrong. We watch J.J. pace back and forth in his office as Spidey watches him from outside the window. J.J.'s thinking he still hasn't been able to prove Spidey and the big man are the same person. So we know now that Jameson really isn't the big man. He's worried he's too far out on a limb to take back his accusation now. Spidey doesn't know this, though. And watching Jameson through the window, he thinks Jameson is worried sick about his crime ring being broken up. (laughs) And Spidey thinks he's really going to give Jameson something to worry about when he's exposed for being a big man, but ducks out of sight as Foswell enters the room. In the final panel, we see Foswell, a sheet of copy in his hand, and he tells Jameson he has the column Jameson wanted him to write on Spider-Man. But J.J. can't take any chances now. He tells Foswell he needs more than a column. He needs proof. Page 21 opens to Foswell asking why as Joe, the police officer, steps into the office. And J.J. snaps. He screams, you fool. Haven't you heard the radio news bulletins? The enforcers have been captured. The crime syndicate is broken up. Only the big man has escaped and the police are apt to find him before too long. Joe chimes in immediately saying they found the big man already. Spidey still watching from the window thinks he knew it, that the high and mighty JJ is really the big man. But Spidey also feels sorry because he never thought Jameson was that bad. Joe speaks again, telling Foswell not to bother trying to sneak away because they have the building surrounded. JJ is in shock. He pulls a cigar from his mouth and says, Foswell. Spidey can't believe it either. He thinks... Frederick Foswell? But I thought it was Jonah. No. How can a little Foswell be the big man? But Tomas has just entered the room carrying the proof. A large green sport jacket and a pair of Chelsea boots. He said... We found all the evidence we needed in your car, which we saw speeding away from the garage. Joe tax on... Pretty clever, Foswell. Using special built-up shoes, an oversized padded jacket, and a small amplifier to disguise your voice. Foswell goes full on Scooby-Doo saying he would have gotten away with it all, too, if it wasn't for some crummy luck. Spidey is... Shock. A hand to his head, his already large bug eyes even wider as he sits against the wall. He thinks. He admits it. It is Foswell. I never even suspected. Some big brain I am. I not only have the proportionate strength of a spider, I'm just about as dumb, too. Sheesh, Spidey, take it easy on yourself. And Jameson still can't believe Foswell acted alone. A look of panic on his face, he begs a now handcuffed Foswell to admit. It that he was working with Spider-Man to save Jameson from looking like a laughing stock and Foswell says dude I got my own problems I'm here getting arrested you want me to I'm not admitting anything he says quote bah I will worry about it all the way to jail later after his office and these out we get a three panel soliloquy from JJ am I always to be thwarted embarrassed
0: frustrated by Spider-Man I hate that costume freak more than I've ever hated anyone before I'll never be contented while he's free. All my life, I've been interested in only one thing, making money. And yet, Spider-Man risks his life day after day with no thought of reward. If a man like him is good, is a hero, then what am I? I can never respect myself while he lives. Spider-Man represents everything that I'm not. He's brave, powerful, and unselfish. The truth is, I envy him. I, J. Jonah Jameson, millionaire, man of the world, civic leader, I give everything I own to be the man that he is, but I can never climb to his level. So all that remains for me is to try to tear him down because heaven help me. I'm jealous of him.
1: Holy crap, only did you hear that his heart out to us and now standing here defeated, exposed beyond the fourth wall. We know you, JJ. We see you now. You thought you were alone. The next panel, we see Spidey in his bedroom. He's holding a note from Aunt May that says she's having a great time in Florida, but he's disappointed he hasn't received anything from Betty. His back to us in the next panel. He asks, what if she never contacts him again? He says it might be just what she wanted and she never cared about him. And maybe this is the way for her to make a clean break. But Spidey can't believe that. Pulling off his mask in a goldenrod negative space, he says, No, I can't believe it. I won't. It's something else. She's in trouble. Worry. If only I knew what the matter was. If only she'd let me help her.
0: At that moment, in a small town in Pennsylvania.
1: We see Betty sitting in a dark room, casting shadow her hands to her face. It's a beautifully drawn natural position. As she said, Life is so meaningless, so empty without Peter. He, He's all I had, all I ever wanted, and yet, I can't turn to him now. I've got to see this through alone. I can't risk the life of the boy I love. No one else can help me, except someone like Spider-Man. But what chance would I ever have of receiving aid from him? And the final panel, we see the sign of the spider blanketing New York City as the caption reads, And so, we leave our friends dangling in a web far more powerful than any which
0: Spider-Man can weave. The mysterious, dramatic web of fate. Next issue, we will meet a great new villain. Find more spectacular thrills as Spider-Man discovers the strange secret of Betty Brant.
1: The End. For now. So we're about to find out what's going on with Betty. That's awesome. And we're out. Man, what an issue. Despite Foswell's failing, Big Man and the enforcers are proof that a group of specialized workers managed by a savvy planner can be dangerous. And Big Man was, pl- was Big Man not planning? The man stole the mail train call. Somebody get him on the line with Dr. Curtis killed their Connors and tell them how to do it. I loved watching the teamwork of the enforcers against Spidey. Ditko and Lee did a good job of showing them work together against them. Their abilities seem completely laughable at first until they start working. And you realize if you're great at one thing and can find other people to compliment that thing, you've got a solid team. One team, one dream, am I right? Also, I never knew where Flash and Pete's relationship took a turn towards friendship. But it looks like we're seeing glimpses of that forming now. You love to see it. That's the main episode this week. And that's true. That's the main episode. But there is more me and my friend Pete available for your listening pleasure right now. If you support this show on Patreon.com. Patrons get a bonus show every week where I run through a comic book from all over the multiverse of comics from Marvel to DC to all points in between if you thought the main episode was good that was just an appetizer this week's bonus episode is Chew number 10 where i run through a tale of america's favorite Cibopath, tony Chew. if we've got comics we've got history and i'll be your guide through it all join me head over to patreon.com hspp and sign up to the key keeper or high council tiers now to find out the story behind the world's most daring eater and with all that said thank you so much for listening i had a blast i hope you did too a very special thanks to the right minders the key keepers and the high council Your support is the engine behind this wonderful crazy train we're on. And I'm truly, truly grateful you let me be the conductor. And to you all I say, please take care. Please think of the world. And please be true to yourself. And remember, with great power, you know, you know the rest. Make sure you're being responsible. I'm out of here.